I'm Nicholas Bornois of CapitalInc, and I would like to welcome you to the ETF Industry Roundtable. This roundtable is being uh, moderated by Mo Sparks, who is the Director of Exchange Traded Products at the New York Stock Exchange. I would like to take the opportunity to thank the New York Stock Exchange for their long-standing partnership and support uh, of this event. We've been doing it together for I think we have lost track how many years now, but this is the 22nd annual event. And thank you very much for uh, your uh, contribution. And I would let, uh, I would let uh, uh, Mo introduce our panelists, who I would like to thank very much, Michael, Anthony, and Matthew. By the way, before I disappear, uh, the participants are welcome to submit questions uh, through the platform, and uh, the questions will be answered uh, by the panelists at the end of their discussion. And with that, more the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Excellent. And thank you, Nicholas. And obviously, thanks to everyone from Capital Links for the continued partnership. I agree. I think it has now been a number of years where we can't uh, can't count, but look forward to, to many more to come as well. And then, obviously, uh, I'll allow actually my uh, panelists to introduce themselves in just a moment. But Nick said, uh, Mo Sparks, Director of Exchange Traded Products from the New York Stock Exchange. So. Uh, we have the privilege of working with kind of everyone across the broader ETF ecosystem, as well as across the, the closed-end fund ecosystem. So uh, unfortunately, we're not together today in person, but love an opportunity to just come together even digitally and discuss some of the things that are happening across the ETF industry. You know, those that don't live in it every single day probably don't just appreciate how quickly this market is growing. It was only earlier this year that we celebrated 2,000 ETFs listed at the New York Stock Exchange. And through the first quarter of this year, we've helped 80 unique issuers launch products, about 250 new ETFs coming to market. And so really our time together, although brief, about 40 minutes will be spent on kind of talking through some of the trends that we're seeing across the market um, and the things that we think are maybe on the horizon for this industry moving forward as well. And so I'm actually start with uh, Tony Rocky from Morgan Stanley and allow him to briefly introduce himself and obviously the firm and his responsibilities. Go ahead, Tony. Great. Uh, thank you, Mo, and good afternoon. Uh, my name is Tony Rockti. I joined Morgan Stanley Investment Management almost two years ago to build out uh, a global ETF multi-brand platform. Uh, some of you may not uh, be as familiar, but we acquired Eaton Vance uh, over three years ago. And with that, that included the brand uh, like Parametric, our customization engine, a leader in active fixed income in Eaton Vance, certainly Calvert, a leader in the ESG category, all under the Morgan Stanley Investment Management platform. So we're launching an ETF business off of that. We've launched Parametric, Eaton Vance, and certainly Calvert ETFs uh, in the past nine months. Uh, I've spent most of my career in the ETF space. I was one of the initial hires uh, at iShares, worked on the initial plan for almost six months before we launched, and then spent about seven years. I always say I was there for the first quarter trillion. Uh, I co-led the Spider ETF business uh, with Jim Ross um, and was uh, uh, helped launch Fidelity's capability and spent almost eight years at Fidelity. So thrilled to be here uh, and look forward to talking about the trends. Excellent. And thank you, Tony, obviously, for joining us. A wealth of knowledge and experience and excited to talk a little bit more about what Morgan Stanley is up to. Maybe next, I'll allow Mike Venuto from Title to introduce himself and Title Financial. Okay, thank you. Uh, excited to be here. My name's uh, Mike Venuto. I'm the co-founder and CIO of Title Financial Group. Uh, most people know us as a white labeler. Uh, 
I think we do a little bit more than that. Uh, we think of ourselves as more of a platform. Today, we are servicing over 118 ETFs and uh, over uh, um, close, um, I got to be careful for compliance, over nine and a half billion in assets. <laughs> I'd like to say close to 10 because it could be there, but got to thread that needle. Um so we help people launch and grow ETFs. Uh, we were just recognized in the industry by ETF Express as the best uh, ETF platform. Uh, so if you want to launch an ETF, your first call should be Mo, and then your second call should be us. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, thanks, Mike. Um, so last but certainly not least, uh, we have Matthew Swark from State Street Global Advisors. So Matt, go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you, Mo, and uh, good afternoon, all, and, and thank you to, to Nicholas and Capital Link for hosting us today. It's a pleasure to participate on this panel alongside Mo, Michael, and Tony. Um, I'm Matt Schwark, and I'm a senior ETF capital markets specialist at Spider ETFs, a division of State Street Global Advisors. I joined Spider from Citadel nearly six years ago, and I sit within our firm's ETF capital markets team where I lead our business development efforts with many of the largest market makers and APs on the street. A little about our firm, Spider currently has 138 ETFs in the US marketplace with a combined AUM of over a trillion dollars. Our flagship ETF, SPY, was the first US listed ETF and has nearly 394 billion in assets under management. Thank you. Perfect, thanks Matt. And so you can quickly see that we have proper representation kind of across the broader industry to have a really nice conversation around some of the things that are that are happening. And so, Tony, I'm actually going to start with you and then bring this to everyone kind of across the panel. One of the more foundational shifts that we've observed here from the NYC vantage points and then across the broader industry is a shift towards active management, right? And so this year, you know, basically three out of four ETFs that have come to market have actually been actively managed. If you rewind the clock, uh, even three years ago, that number was as low as 30%. And so it's a pretty meaningful shift. So Tony, maybe talk to us about what do you think is driving that and what are you observing with the act, within the active market today for ETF? Yeah, let, let, me, um, let me take a step back to maybe the why. There's a number of reasons why, but I think the one that many are familiar with is Rule 6011 enacted in uh, the you know, third, fourth quarter of 2019, that really enabled traditional active managers to enter the market without filing for the exemptive relief. Um, it accelerated it to as short as 75 days for a traditional ETF filing. So I think the why, Mo, is a lot more traditional active managers globally um, have entered the market. I would say Europe looks different than the U.S. I think only roughly 2% of the European market, which is about 1.7 trillion is active. But we've, what we've even seen in the last 12 to 18 months is new traditional active organizations in Europe. In terms of the US, uh, I think many are familiar, anywhere from 25 to 30% of net new flows into the US ETF market, which will finish over a half a trillion this year, likely, in terms of net new flows into the category have been active. If you look through that, what's even more interesting is 44% of the flows uh, have gone into fixed income. So you've got this trend, it's not just active, it's active fixed income, uh, it's primarily active transparent. And then the question mode that everyone asks is, are they performing? 
um, we, we actually looked, um, you know, at, at Forbes, actually it was Barron's at the end of July, there were 230 fixed income ETFs that had been launched, 68% were actually outperforming their benchmarks. So active ETFs are a trend, both equity and fixed. Some of it's regulatory driven and we're seeing solid performance, particularly in the fixed income space. Um, do I think it's gonna continue? Uh, I do, uh, yet, you know, when you look at the flow, call it 25 to 30% of the US ETF flows, yet it's still somewhere between five and 6% of the AUM. So we've got a long way to go, but we, we've definitely seen uh, an increase in ownership. And firms like Morgan Stanley Investment Management, um, at the center of our DNA is traditional active management. And, and that's why, you know, we've launched 11 ETFs in nine months, and the majority of them are actively managed. Thanks, Tony, and appreciate the context of, you know, what, if you do take the step back, what is starting to drive these things, right, and drive adoption and interest from, from end investors. Mike, maybe coming to you, right, as a white label, or as we talked about, a platform, right, to support issuers in that journey, what have you been observing, and, and what additional kind of comments would you bring into the conversation? Yeah, so um, I'm going to continue the statistics uh, that Anthony uh, started with here. So um, almost everything that comes to us at this point is active. Um, the rare occasion that we see something passive, it's usually because they want to dual list in a in Mexico or Europe where, where it's a lot harder to do active. Um, so on a statistics point of view, right now, there's about 430 billion in active ETFs, which is right about 6.2% of the overall AUM. Um, what's interesting is, even though it's a tiny part of the AUM, and you know Tony hit on all the growths of it, it represents 15.1% of the revenue of the industry. So <laughs> it's more than punching twice its weight there. Explains not only uh, why we're seeing so many launches, but that's the incentive for um, actual businesses to get into this, right? Like, uh, and, and, and convert over. It's also punching over its weight in terms of actual funds out there. So out of the 3,322 ETFs as of today, 1,102 or 33% are active, right? So now we get to the part where we know why everybody's running here. Average ETF is 11 bips. If you go passive, average weighted for for uh, assets is 42, four times um, when you go active. So you know the the regulation opened the door for people to embrace this. The fear of transparency seems to have le left, and as long as these managers are producing something valuable with their active management. I think the market is going to be very accepting of it because 42 bips is still way lower than what you would be paying in less efficient vehicles that people have historically flowed to. And really useful uh, in terms of the numbers. I, as you know, oh, one who would... we, we should plug ahead. that on the numbers, Mo. So these yeah, numbers exactly. we publish every week on New York Stock Exchange's website, ETF Central, and on yeah. ETF Think Tank. So we do a weekly roundup of all these statistics. I didn't just rattle them off my head. I'm looking at 
what our analysts put together for uh, ETF Central and ETF Think Tank earlier this week. So <laughs> sorry we're, about. We're one and two. We're on the same level. That was going to be yeah. one of my comments is in relation to the great resource that the team produces. You can find it again on ETF Central as well as ETF Think Tank. And then also from the perspective of the New York Stock Exchange, if you're not already signed up, this is my shameless plug for the day. We do produce a monthly newsletter where we give a broader update of what's happening specifically across the active ETF marketplace, right? Because this is an area where there's just such a high level of growth. You can go to homeofetf.com if you'd like to sign up for that, learn more. Feel free to reach out to obviously anyone on this panel to discuss anything in relation with us today. Uh, particularly that one, obviously, go there. So, Matt, I'm going to kind of come to you. You come at this conversation from kind of a different vantage point, one, being closer to what's happening in the capital markets and the trading every day, two, SPY, right, 30-year anniversary, the first ETF passively managed. But many might not know State Street has more recently launched active ETFs and is in that market. Maybe talk us through what State Street is observing more broadly as well. Sure, Absolutely. <clears throat> Um, you know, as Mo mentioned, we're, we're very much involved in this space as well. Uh, at Spider, we launched our first actively managed ETF back in 2012 and currently have 14 active funds in the U.S. marketplace. We've taken a slightly different approach um, to active management where eight of our 14 funds we've actually launched in, in partnership with some of the best in class investment advisors in the world. So we have funds with Blackstone, DoubleLine, Nuveen, and Loomis Sales. Um, you heard the other panelists rattle off some of the very impressive statistics um, around active and what we've seen this year. I think it's safe to say that active in an ETF wrapper is here to stay. And it's something that, you know, we, we watch very closely at Spider and, and look for new opportunities day in and day out. And Matt, I'm actually going to stay with you as we start to transition away from the broader things that we're hearing. And so as you kind of engage with clients, whether they're end investors, allocators, uh, other issuers, institutions, like what are some of the things that you're hearing across ETF? Sure. I mean, you know, some of the things that are very topical with our clients right now, obviously tech loss harvesting as we, we get closer to year end, um, take fixed income as an example. Most fixed income exposures are, are underwater on a 10 to 15 year look back which has led to a lot of TL, TLH discussions with clients, especially as we're, we're getting you know, ready to close out the year. Um, another big topic of conversation, uh, which I'm sure Michael is very familiar with as well, is conversions from mutual funds and SMAs to ETFs. Um, more and more, we're seeing our actual clients become sponsors and launch products of, the, of their own in the ETF wrapper strategy that they've been managing in-house. Um, another, you know, very big topic of conversation continues to be ETF price compression. Uh, a big part of the market still heavily focuses on the lowest cost provider in any particular asset class. And, you know, we've really paid attention to that and launched uh, a fairly robust um, ETF low cost portfolio suite of our own, which I'll discuss a little more, you know, later in this, in this panel. Useful. So, yeah, I think those are very much trends that we're seeing, right, particularly that trend of and allocators actually wrapping, whether it's an independent RA or another wealth manager taking their own proprietary strategies, maybe they're in SMAs historically, and bringing them into the ETF wrapper and taking advantage of the benefits that are there in terms of both access, efficiency, tax, right? So a number of, I think, really good things. Maybe Tony coming to you, right? 
you obviously and Morgan Stanley have launched a number of ETFs in a short amount of time. Um, what are the conversations been like with uh, your clients so far and, and what are you kind of hearing more broadly? Yeah, um, just from a, what are we hearing from clients? We heard loud and clear over the last, you know, three to five years. Uh, we like the customization engine from Parametric. Many are familiar with Custom Core. Parametric manages over $440 billion in, uh, in assets. Um, we manage, you know, well over $200 billion from, in alternatives from Morgan Stanley, but they wanted choice uh, and they wanted the ETF wrapper. And so, you know, we look at active as our DNA and then we're expanding choice um, through the ETF wrapper. Uh, we did launch six Calvert ETFs on February 1st. We surpassed 400 billion in assets as of the end of September. Uh, and so we're making good progress on the ESG front. Uh, just a, uh, a week and a half ago, we launched five um, active ETFs, um, two from Parametric, three from Eaton Vance. Let me quickly highlight Eaton Vance because they're all actively managed. Uh, it's Eaton Vance high yield ETF. We've got deep uh, experience uh, in high yield investing. The Eaton Vance uh, Intermediate Municipal priced at 29 basis points, uh, ticker EVIM, and also um, EVSB, Eaton Vance Ultra Short, priced at 17 basis points. So fully transparent active from Eaton Vance. I think the one though that was loud and clear is um, the need for alternative income sources and really helping clients either re-risk or de-risk a portfolio. I mentioned Parametric earlier. Um, in addition to um, you know, what advisors know about Parametric, they also have um, an option overlay business that's been you know, uh, in, in the industry for over 20 years, it manages, we manage over 17 billion in option overlay. So we actually put together uh, two capabilities, the Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, ticker PAPI, uh, and the Parametric Hedged Equity. Uh, and, and these are a category that we've seen um, growing quite fast. Uh, in fact, the derivative income category uh, and the options category together are almost 100 billion in assets. We've seen them double in just two years. And, and so we wanted to really meet clients where they are. Um, so what Poppy does, ticker P-A-P-I, uh, it delivers consistent monthly income while maintaining the prospect for capital appreciation. And it does this uh, mode through the combining of two capabilities. One capability is a dividend component which we've been doing for a decade at Parametric, um, that delivers anywhere from three and a half to 4% annualized yield, in addition to an option overlay component, which is an additional 4% yield. So we'll target seven to 8% income, high, stable, and most importantly, and where it's differentiated from competitors, extremely tax efficient income. Many competitors uh, are taxed, you know, the income stream is taxed at pure ordinary income or primarily ordinary income. Um, our dividend component uh, will deliver a qualified dividend, which is obviously taxed at a more advantageous rate. That uh, is priced at 29 basis points, very tax efficient, much more conservative in structure in that we're using all listed options, which we think is a differentiator and a great capability from, um, 
parametric. So at 29 basis points versus the category average at 87, uh, we've gotten good feedback from our clients. We also have, in addition to that parametric ETF, parametric hedged equity, ticker PHEQ, uh, which really, Mo, helps you re-risk or de-risk a portfolio. So essentially, the first uh, parametric ETF is more income. Parametric hedged equity is more focused on downside protection. The one thing I would say is it's less defined outcome. In fact, it's not defined outcome. Mm -hmm. It's more managed outcome. And what we heard from advisors is they wanted a single ticker solution that really enabled their clients to re-risk or de-risk a portfolio. Again, priced at 29 basis points and extremely competitive to the category. So we're meeting clients where they are, but but certainly all the alternative income is what we heard loud and clear. Yeah, that, that very much is a category, Tony, where we've seen just an immense level of growth interest. You know, Mike, maybe coming to you with different perspective, having worked with issuers who are bringing new product to market. I know you've helped a number of, of issuers, including someone like Yield Max, who has a very unique way of delivering alternative income. But Maybe you want to talk about them or others. What are you seeing kind of there from a client perspective? Yeah, so um, I, I, lo I love this category, right? Because, you know, when, when Tony introduced the, his thing in the beginning, he talked about 6C11. And I get asked all the time, you know, what, what has really helped your business? 6C11 is great. It, it, it brought active. 18F4, not to put everybody to sleep with regulations, but... Uh, that one is the one that really ignited the business of title. Now, 18F4 is known as the derivatives rule. And it basically made it so all kinds of things that historically were in the alternative space, uh, leverage, derivatives use, options use, um, anything that was more Delta 2, Delta 3 was very, very difficult to do in the ETF wrapper until two or three years ago. So... Um, our chief operating officer, Gavin, likes to say we're in the headache business, right? Uh, uh, we take the headache so you don't have to. But what we've seen a ton of is um, more complex product, right? Uh, and Yield Max is a great example of that. Um, we've also done zero DTE call writing. We've done... We worked with Jerry Parker, the famous commodities trader, and came out with a portfolio that's trend following on both equities and uh, commodities. That could not have been done two or three years ago. It still wasn't easy to do. Um, you know, all kinds of way more complex, difficult to uh, put into the ETF wrapper products are where we're seeing the most growth. Um, you know, you mentioned Yield Max. Yeah, uh, Yield Max was that nexus point finally the government got regulators got okay with some sort of single stock or single security etf everybody went for leverage and inverse we went for yield so we have 15 of them now all the major stocks that whole magnus magnificent seven suite where you can get exposure to tesla amazon whichever one you choose coinbase is probably my favorite one right now and and have a call strategy on it. So that's that's a major trend in active is complex. The other major trend in is something that um is a bit of a trick question, which is today everybody thinks Matt and Spy is the oldest ETF in the US. 
there's an ETF from JP Morgan with a earlier inception because it was a mutual fund. So this path of conversion from both SMA hedge fund, we, we converted a hedge fund to an ETF this year. Um, and from mutual funds, we're in the middle of a mutual fund conversion for Gotham. I mean, I just don't see it stopping. Um, you know, it's, it's not simple, right? Uh, and most of what's been done thus far that's paved the path didn't really work in terms of asset gathering. Um, but it, it will, right? You, you, you know, converting a, a loaded mutual fund is a mistake, right? Converting like DFA has done non-loaded mutual funds into an ETF wrapper. It's the one time you're guaranteeing tax adjusted, better returns for someone's it's literally structural alpha, right? Owning, owning the S and P in a mutual fund versus owning it as spy. It's just better for tax investors. Um, we don't get those kinds of guarantees in finance very often. So those are the two big active trends I'm seeing. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. We we joke, but we say it somewhat serious, you know, that we're the home of conversions, right? So we've seen, you know, more broadly, uh, I think 65 of these conversions roughly have taken place across about $75 billion in assets raised. And so, but this is something that's only been unlocked in the last few years. We're coming on, I think, the third year, right, of this being an option for a manager Lots of considerations, Mike, as you kind of share. Obviously, your team can be very, very useful in thinking through those things. I love Gavin's statement of in a headache business, um, but you really eliminate the headache, which is really, really important. Um, Matt, I want to bring you back into the conversation and kind of continue on this trend of things that we're seeing from a development standpoint, um, new products. So talked about SPY a little bit. Um, maybe you want to hit on kind of how SPY has broadly shaped the industry that we now know today. Now we get to argue inception dates, which is a fun one. This is the second time in a week I've heard this this line of the JPM uh, being arguably the, the oldest ETF. Um, but maybe talk a little bit about SPY and then talk about kind of what you see on the horizon. Yeah, sure. So thanks, Mo. Um, I'd argue that Tony might be better suited to answer this question given uh, he and Jim Ross ran Spider in the early days and, and helped build the foundation that helped us get us to where we are today. But uh, all joking aside, as mentioned earlier, our flagship product SPY, um, or that Spider S&P 500 Trust, um, celebrated its 30th anniversary in January. Um, Mo and Doug and our good friends at the NYSE hosted us for, for the closing bell in a fun-filled evening. Um, I don't want this to sound too much like a product pitch, and, and I think many would agree that SPY is one of the most flexible investment solutions available to investors today. Um, you know, the obvious buy and hold case uh, remains true. Um, that said, we continue to see innovation come from our clients as they discover new use cases for the product, you know, which include uh, using SPY as a liquidity solution. SPY's incredible secondary market trading depth allows for a wide variety of execution strategies. Um, we see clients using SPY as a liquidity sleeve or for the equitization of cash. We see this often with our institutional client base. Um, we see SPY regularly used in related derivative, uh, derivative products. SPY is utilized as a reference asset for a significant portion of the retail structured products market. Um, and SPY's options market represented nearly half of all ETF options traded in 2022. 
Um, and last but certainly not least, we, we often see SPY used as a hedging solution from hedge funds to, to broker-dealer trading desks. Um, we see SPY utilized as a hedging tool in a variety of different ways. Um, I think it's safe to say that SPY has provided a roadmap for products to evolve. Uh, recently, this is, is most evident in, in the fixed income market where ETFs are helping to reshape the, the credit derivatives market. So, um, you know, we continue to see more and more use cases for SPY. Um, we're actively involved in ongoing conversations with clients on, on new ways to leverage and utilize the product. I, th I think one thing, Mo, if I can add. Perfect. Because yep. I, you know, <laughs> I have an affinity for that vehicle. When we talk about times of duress and markets uh, that we've all gone through, whether it was a pandemic, whether it was you know the credit crisis, whether it was you know 9/11, when the exchange was closed, everybody looks to spy and a dozen ETFs for price discovery, and, and I think that's um, a really important part of our industry. So, yeah, it is remarkable. Great. I mean. You kind of talked through Matt. Obviously, all the derivatives that now reference SPY, right, is a is a vehicle. Um, but it it really has helped define a category that, you know, in itself now is here in the states, roughly seven and a half trillion dollars in assets, right. Um, and it all began with with that you know humble single product uh, that now trades like water uh, is the joke, um, but the reality as well. Um, so you know maybe as we start to you know last ten minutes, I'm gonna kind of transition to a bit of, of rapid fire here uh, across the group. Um, so, you know, maybe, uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, you sit in an interesting spot, as we've talked about a few times, and seeing everything come in and seeing all the innovation in this market, maybe two-parter, very fast. What do you see as the single greatest opportunity in our market and the single greatest threat? Wow. Um, threat is easy. <laughs> uh yeah, the, 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 the threat is the same threat that ETFs were to mutual funds and mutual funds were to annuities and is a better structure. And everybody assumes that better structure has something to do with tokenization. Um, lucky for the ETF world, uh, you know, our regulators are very, very slow on this. So, so um, the technology could probably be fully ready in the next three to five years. I think the regulators will probably drag that out to 10 to 12. And just like with the switch from mutual funds to ETFs, many of us will be far ahead of it. I mean, my firm has already invested in a number of tokenization um, uh, startups and ventures just to make sure we're ahead. And we actually run the largest blockchain ETF. So, you know, <laughs> the reason I launched that one was I was worried about the ETF industry. So, uh, you know, that's the threat, but I don't know how much of it really means bad things, right? It's just an iteration on structure. Opportunity, it's 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 really just, we're Lindy now, right? We just, the longer we're here, the more likely this is going to survive. And I mean, it's not survive, thrive, right? Because this is just a chassis. It's just a structure. And it's more efficient than the older ones. So as long as you put a good idea into it, you should succeed. Um, now, there will be bad ideas. <laughs> we The open to close ratio right now on ETFs is about two to one, meaning for every two opened in the last 12 months, one closed. That's good. That's healthy. 
Um, it's not healthy when we, a couple months ago, we were up at like five to one. That's too much. And you get some egg on your face when some bad ideas come out or things that are not great for investors. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's good that the industry has a natural meritocracy or to it. I mean, hell BlackRock closed funds today. I went to trade when I was like, that's what it's closed. They closed their, their trend, their future trend suite. I couldn't believe it. Um, so, but that's, that's, that's the health of the industry. Yeah. So no, I think really yeah. useful. I love that, that, uh, uh, ETFs are a technology, right? That's how I often kind of describe it. And we're on a constant evolution towards more and more, obviously this structure, uh, I always start holding my phone when I think about ETFs because I think that so much of it is access and what it provides individuals today and who knows what's next. Um, but maybe Tony, same question for you, opportunity and threat. Yeah. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm often asked like, what's the future look like? Cause I've spent a lot of time in the past. Um, I, look, whether it's PwC, Cerulli, Brown Brothers, somewhere between 15 and 30 trillion are the estimates. I think Brown Brothers, the, the peak at the end of the decade at 30 trillion. I believe that number. I do personally. Um, when we look at Europe, there's no doubt what's happening in the U.S. is happening in Europe. And it might, you know, some say five to seven years behind. That's actually getting tighter and tighter. Um, and so I think global ETF growth in Europe and in Asia is accelerating. I know we've been focused primarily on the US. I think that is a significant opportunity. The second significant opportunity, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna play a completely different angle on this because everyone wants to talk about the next product and we could talk about product all day. Um, when you look at post rule 6011 and you look at the act traditional active managers who have entered the market. I'm not going to name them, but you know who those firms are. We're one of them. Um, distribution is key, both in the institutional and the advisor market. In the institutional market, consultants are just coming to know ETFs, and they've been out 30 years, right? You know, in the last five years, we're having more dialogue because large global pension plans are actually using ETFs for exposure. Um, so I think that's important. And then in the intermediary market, distribution teams are coming to know ETFs alongside alts, alongside SMA, uh, and, and certainly mutual funds. So I, I think that's going to accelerate the growth of the market. Uh, in terms of threats, um, I like the close ratio, Michael. I think that's a good, healthy ratio, and I agree with your point. Um, I, not, not everything should be an ETF. I, and I remind anyone in the industry, there are great exposures mm -hmm. who, that are potentially better in an interval fund or in some other structure. So not everything should be ETF. And my hope is that, you know, we use, you know, prudence and logic as, as the, you know, these ETFs get launched. Very useful. And, you know, a funny statement coming from myself who sits at the exchange is very interested and in obviously seeing product continue to grow, but I couldn't agree more. And I think I value and partners like Tidal, you know, Gavin and, and Mike will often say a key component of our, our job, aside from removing headaches, is telling people no, right? Explaining to them the reasons why this 
doesn't make sense in the wrapper, right? And I think that that is important that we as an industry continue to focus on ensuring that the right things are coming, that we're supporting the ecosystem such that it does truly grow and flourish. Um, you know, maybe I'll come uh, to you, Matt, uh, for the same question as we kind of come to a conclusion. Sure, um, I'll make the, the opportunity piece easy. Um, I, I fully agree with Tony, um, global expansion, uh, you know, growing the ETF pie globally is a massive opportunity and one that we're very much focused on. Um, you know, we're gonna be investing, you know, a lot of money into APAC and other regions um, where we see tremendous growth opportunities. As far as, um, you know, the potential greatest threat, I would call it a, a, a threat or a potentially an unknown to the ETF industry is, is the regulatory environment. You know, equity market structure proposals, the liquidity rule, Basel III, and the subsequent impact to RWA calcs for broker-dealers, T plus one. All these can and may eventually impact liquidity and cost to end clients. So, you know, it's, it's something that we're all watching very closely. We're all trying to solve for things like T1 right, T plus one right now. So, you know, it's something that, you know, we're very much involved in and in, in, in speaking out with, speaking up with uh, regulators and, and, and stuff like that. So that would be my biggest threat or, or unknown, as I would call it. Yeah, I think that's a really good one to bring into the conversation, obviously. We spotlighted two of the things that very clearly are tailwinds, the continued growth of ETFs, their regulatory focus. There's always the headwind out there of, of what's kind of next in, as an industry, helping to kind of shape that and ensure that the right things are happening. So I think maybe to conclude, um, you know, Matt, how can, whether it's a you know, prospective issuer that's here listening or obviously investors, like what's the best way for them to interact with State Street and Spiders or get in contact with you all? Sure, we, um, you know, we, we have uh, a quite robust distribution force. So I hope that, you know, all the potential clients on this call are speaking to someone on our distribution force. If they're not, um, please visit ssga.com. You know, you can, you can connect, contact my team directly, the capital markets team. Um, and I can always help put you in touch with whoever you need to talk to. But I think that's a, that's a good starting point. Um, you know, or if you know Mo and team, you know, they know us very well and can put us in touch. So. Excellent. Appreciate that. Tony, same question to you. Same thing. I would just say we, we've got a distribution force um, that carries multiple brands from Eaton Vance to Parametric to Morgan Stanley to Calvert. And, you know, we've just launched a new website within uh, the MSIM website. So that, that's probably the the best place to go. Uh, I, you know, I would say we're in the initial stages, Mo, um, of building this platform out. We're nine months in. We've launched 11 ETFs, and um, we certainly have plans globally uh, to continue to expand. Uh, primarily, actively managed uh, is, is is where we're focused. Exceptional. And to you, Mike. Last but not least. Sure. So. Um... To find us, we're everywhere. We're all over social media. Uh, it's hard not to find us, but I would invite you to visit titlefg.com. There's a beautiful little button there that says build my ETF, and it'll take you through a questionnaire, and we'll have somebody call you 20 minutes later about whether or not you got a good idea that we can work with. From there, you can also access etfthinktank.com. That's our free website. It's got tools on it. It's got all kinds of wonderful stuff, massive amount of content, videos, 
everything you could imagine to learn about the ETF industry and sign up for information. Exceptional. Yeah, and the, the same is kind of true of us, right? You can find us digitally everywhere, uh, like Mike and team. Uh, don't hesitate to visit, obviously, ETF Central is another resource in combination with ETF Think Tank to help you kind of navigate that process of looking at all the ETFs and the content, the perspectives across our industry. And the second is homeofetf.com, right? That can be a starting point as well, or you can reach out probably to any of us via LinkedIn, uh, send us a message. We're always happy to help. So with that, obviously, thank you to my fellow panelists for joining this conversation, sharing a bit of perspective around some of the things that are happening across our industry. And I'll turn it over to Nicholas uh, to kind of conclude. Well, my task is very easy. All I have to do is say thank you very much for a great discussion. And uh, thank you very, very much again to all of you.